Hey, good morning. Peace be with you. I want to ask you to go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This morning we are in Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. At the end I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you can respond, thanks be to God. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, welcome again to Trinity Community Church. It's great to see you. We started a new series two weeks ago, and it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, a phrase that's taken from a book by Eugene Peterson. And so you can see that on your cover. And this series is a critique. It's a critique of, a, of an assumption, a widespread assumption, that faster is better than slower, easier is preferable to harder, and starting something is better than finishing something. Uh, and so we're trying to look at what it means to persevere in the Christian life. What does it look like not just to become a Christian, but to remain a Christian, to, to do the long walk of faith as a Christian? And we said it's not hard to get somebody interested in the faith. It's hard to sustain that interest. What's difficult is the long, slow, patient walk into spiritual maturity and deep community. And so we've started by looking at two identities that we have that have uh, been out of the Psalms. First, we saw that we are pilgrims. Uh, Like the Israelites, we are people on a journey. The Israelites would go three times a year up into Jerusalem. It was an uphill walk from any other part of Israel. And so the Israelites would ascend three times a year into Jerusalem to praise the Lord, to celebrate these festivals. And like Israel, we too are on a long journey. Last week, we talked about how we are a spiritual family. So we have this identity as pilgrims. We have an identity as family. Like Israel, we are brothers and sisters together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is a long journey, a long walk as spiritual family. And so the message has been keep walking, keep going, keep showing up, keep putting yourself in a place where God can speak to you, can change you, and can grow you into his image. And I know there are many other things you can be doing on a Sunday morning. I recognize that. Um, I I saw a couple weeks ago, I'm I'm part of this cycling group. I don't know if I've mentioned that. I might mention that every Sunday. This is the last time I mentioned cycling. But for the sake of this introduction, uh, one of my friends posted a couple Sundays ago, uh, there was a bike race and he posted a picture and he said, this is my church. Uh, And that's that's a whole movement. Nature is my church. Uh, And in fact, all the biggest bike races uh, are on Sunday morning. So the biggest one uh, in central Missouri is this morning. It's right now. Not upset about missing it at all. Totally fine. I might have a little bit of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. But I'm choosing what we call JOMO, the joy of missing out. 
Uh, and literally, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. There was a New York Times article about JOMO, the joy of saying no to one thing so that you can say yes to something else. Uh, and that happens all the time in the Christian life. It happens every single Sunday morning where you choose uh, to do something on a Sunday morning, come to, to gathered worship with your spiritual family, with other pilgrims along the way, instead of doing something else. And, and worship is that identity that we are looking at that this morning. Worship was an identity that the Israelites had. It's, a, it's an identity that we have as God's people, as Christians. And so, you know, nature is, is a great, uh, you know, it's a great thing to enjoy. It's a great part of creation, but it, it makes a really poor God. Uh, like anything else, it's, it's great to enjoy creation, enjoy good gifts, but it's, it's uh, always going to set you up for failure to try to set that thing into your God. And so if nature is your church, unfortunately, nature doesn't really care about you. And nature's not going to care for you when you're struggling. It's not going to visit you in the hospital. It's not going to not going to bind you up when you're wounded. Nature doesn't really care about you. And so if we are, are going into nature 52 Sunday mornings a year, uh, although that could be fun, and we can admit that's, that's a really fun way to spend a Sunday morning, we can also recognize that our, our life is basically the accumulation of our habits, the things that we do out of, out of routine, the things that we do over and over and over. That's what makes us who we are. And so as a Christian, there's a big difference in how formed you are, how transformed you are spiritually when you're going to church 10 times a year versus 45 or 50 times a year. And so as we look at this worship identity, I think this will start to come together. Uh, but we're going to continue looking at the songs of ascents. We read 122 uh, this morning. And the three things, as, as we did the last two weeks, we're going to look at is who we are, where we are, and what we must do. So we'll start with who we are, our, our identity. Look back. It, actually, I want to use the message for the first couple of verses. In, in the message translation, verses 1 and 2 say this. When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls. And then verse 4 in the message is my favorite. It, it's translated like this. All God's tribes go up to worship, to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. To give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. And so Israel, as God's people, they were worshipers. They were created. They were gathered to be a community of worship. But if you've read the Old Testament, you know the, the whole history of Israel was one of, of failed worship. They would turn away from the one true living God, and they would turn to other religions. They would turn to other idols. They would turn to almost anything, and God would keep calling them back and calling them back and calling them back. And so finally, God sent his own son, his, his true son. He would call Israel a son, but he sent his true son, Jesus, into the world so that he would truly transform us from the inside out. And so now all that belong to God, belong to Jesus, Christians, are God's true and eternal people. And so in the same way that Israelites were worshipers, we as Christians are worshipers. It's part of our identity. We've been created for it. We've been redeemed for it. For Israel, they were given all these instructions, uh, when to worship, where to worship, how to worship. And as Christians, we don't have those same regulations, but it's still how we worship that matters. How we approach God uh, as worshipers 
is really important. And so we don't go to the temple, but we now have the Holy Spirit who, who indwells us, who fills our presence. We don't have to go up to Jerusalem. We don't even have to go to church in a, in a true sense, but rather we are the church. We are the people of God. And there's no house of God other than the people of God. That's what the New Testament says, is where there once was a house of God, there is still a house of God, but the house is the people of God. We read this in 1 Peter 2 last week. Like living stones, you also are being built into a spiritual house. And so I want you to think about this, uh, this illustration, a spiritual house, and think of worship as the frame to that house. Uh, Christ is the foundations, the scripture says, but, but something that gives structure and, and integrity to our house is our gatherings in worship. And so think about a house that didn't have a frame within it. It was just uh, drywall, uh, stairs, paint, and they're all just sort of slopped together. But there's no internal structure that wouldn't hold together very well. Uh, if you've just got drywalls, you know, nailed to, to each other with paint on it, it's just a matter of time before that's going to start coming apart at the seams. There's no central structure that, that gives meaning and purpose to, to everything else in the house. And so if the house is the people of God, the fellowship that we share together, worship is our frame. And as an individual, you, you may have felt before like you lack a frame. If you've ever felt like your, your actions, your thoughts, your attitudes, that they're all just disconnected, they're all just barely connected to one another, but you don't have a, a central frame that's a really difficult place to be. If there's, if there's no central structure that's organizing your life, that everything else is attached to, it's like living in a house without a frame. And so worship is that frame in our lives, even in an individual sense. We've been created for worship. We've been designed to worship. We've been redeemed to worship. And one of the old saints, Saint Augustine, who lived in the the fourth century, he said this, this famous quote, our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. I think that's such a, such a true line. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. In verse four again, to give thanks to the name of God, this is what it means to be Israel. And so I haven't defined worship yet, and so I'll do that now. Worship, I would say, is giving ultimate value to someone or something with your entire being, your, your mind, your heart, and your will. It's, it's a total dedication to, to someone or something that involves your heart, involves your mind, involves your, your will or your actions. And the Psalms show us that, that worship of God engages our whole being in this way. It, it engages our mind. Uh, there are commandments over and over again and invitations to, to think on the things of God, to consider what he's done, consider what he's done throughout history. Engage your mind in worship. The Psalms invite us and command us to engage our heart in worship, to sing out to God, to pray to him, to cry out to him, to, to lament the brokenness of the world from our hearts. And then worship also engages our will, what we do, the Psalms call us to, to trust him, to follow him, to, to come before him, to, to kneel before him. These are all things that take conscious choices. And so worship is something that engages our entire being, and it focuses us on what's most valuable or most 
important to us. And so it's possible to think about God without engaging your heart and your will. And it's possible to, to feel a lot, and especially in a worship experience. And yet if your actions don't change, you haven't truly and fully worshiped. And so worship is engaging on all these levels, your mind, your heart, and then it, it does something in you and it engages your will. Now, it's just, worship is not something we, we only do with God, but worship, if it's something that's true of us, then, then there's going to be ways that we worship and we worship the wrong things. We put something else on that throne. We put something in the place where only God should be. And so some questions to consider are, what are things that most quickly engage your mind? What, what captures your heart? What directs your will? When you think about your, your whole being uh, longing after something, where do, your, where do your thoughts most naturally go when you don't have to think about something? What do you, what do you feel most frequently? When, when your mind wanders, when, when your heart is at ease, what, what are the things that come rushing into your mind, into your heart? What are the things that you do, your actions, your choices? What, what are directing those things? And so the, the pattern that the Psalms give us are, are to begin with our mind, to, to consider and dwell on the things of God, to let those affect our heart. And then as they, as they change us on the inside, then they direct our will. They direct our, our actions, what we do as a result. And so that's where singing becomes such an important part of worship. Singing something that engages us on this entire level in our minds, in our hearts. It's an action. It's something we have to choose to do. And worship's much more than singing, but singing's one of the the dominant examples of worship in the scriptures. And if you think about it, Christians are, we're really unique in the fact that we even sing at all. Uh, No other world religion gathers and, and sings. You might have meditation, you might have prayer, you might have chanting, but not like top of your lungs, hands in the air singing. That's only a Christian thing. And it's a little bit odd if you think about it, but it's a response to what he has done, a response to how we've been made. And if you look at the scriptures, it's, it's amazing how often singing shows up. At the very beginning of the creation of the world, man breaks out into song. In Genesis 1 and 2, when he sees his bride for the first time, he sings. And so creation begins with singing. The Psalms are, are full of these there, there are 150 songs. They're the songbook of the scriptures. More than 50 commands in the Psalms alone to sing to God. Jesus and his disciples were, were constantly singing. As Israelites in the first century, they would have had the entire book of the Psalms memorized. It says at the Last Supper, when they had finished their meal, after Judas left, the, the 11 disciples and Jesus sang a hymn before they left. And I just imagine what it would be like in that upper room with Jesus on this heavy moment to sing a hymn before you, before you move off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so the Bible begins with a song in creation, but it also ends with a song at the new creation. In Revelation, we see all the Christians throughout all of time, all of God's people from every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping God in song. And so there is no Christianity apart from singing. It's, it's a singing religion. We're a singing community. And singing is one of the most subversive things we can do. 
To, to worship God is extremely subversive. It, it means it's a, it's a saying no to, to all other gods, all other options. To focus our worship and our singing onto God himself is to not focus on anything else. It's what Israel struggled to do and we struggle to do, but being in Christ, being made worshipers, we now have the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to make us want to worship. And so who we are we're worshipers. What about where are we? We've said before, and we'll keep saying, we live in a broken world. And so to be a worshiper in a world that wasn't broken would be a glorious thing, and we'll experience it one day. But, but for now, we are worshipers in a broken world. And in a broken world, there are times for joyful praise. There are also times for lament, for sorrow, for, for tearful songs. The lead singer of uh, U2, Bono, he became a Christian after uh, some time as a rock star. And his, his conversion is a really interesting one. He actually credits Eugene Peterson, who wrote uh, the book that I mentioned earlier, for, for sort of kindling this faith. And then later he wrote an introduction to a book on the Psalms. And so Bono wrote this in the introduction. He said, words and music did for me what solid, even rigorous religious argument could never do. They introduced me to God, not belief in God, more an experiential sense of God. Over art, literature, reason, the way into my spirit was a combination of words and music. And that's why the, the Psalms are so helpful to us as Christians. Because it's not just a, a mere intellectual exercise, it's not just theology, but it's, it's scripture that, that sets our hearts on fire, that, that captures the deepest parts of who we are. And you may have heard before, I've heard pastors say that we should be, we should treat church like we do a, a rock concert or a pop concert. You know, you go to one of these uh, concerts, whoever your person is, like Taylor Swift or Beyonce, everybody's got their hands up, they're screaming, they're, they're, they know all the words to all the songs, they're clapping, they're fainting and all that. And then the pastor says, why can't you be more like this on Sunday? You raise your hands there. You know, what does that say about you? But I don't feel like that's a very fair comparison, right? Because uh, when you go to a concert and you're, you're around these 20,000 screaming fans, uh, you're, you're not tapping into the deepest parts of who you are, not really. Uh, you're not being asked to, brought, to bring your sin into this place. There's typically not a confession of sin in one of these concerts. You're not being asked to bring your, your brokenness into this situation. In fact, that's what a concert is. It's you leave all of that behind and you go in and you sing like crazy and you forget about everything else that's going on in your world. In fact, most of, of music is either lament or escapism. Uh, rock, pop, reggae, rap, it's, it's lamenting the brokenness of the world. It's typically coming from a marginalized community describing their experience, either that they want to change it or that they want to escape from it. So much of music is either lament or escapism. Now, I do want to encourage us that we can be expressive. We can raise our hands. We can sing loud. And yet, at the same time, we can also lament. The most common form of song in the Psalms is lament. There are more laments than any other form of song. Psalm 73 is one of my favorite laments. The, the psalmist is considering how the, the wicked get ahead in life, while those who are righteous uh, seem to struggle more than anyone else. 
Uh, and he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Now this sounds somewhat like emo music. I think that's where uh, indie rock comes from. I mean, every morning brings new punishments. Uh, maybe. It might be an overstatement. It's dramatic. But in these psalms, these are invitations to bring our experience before God as we actually experience it. There are no psalms where, where the singer sets aside his, his true emotions and then brings this sort of happy, clappy faith to God. Instead, it's, it's true, it's appropriate. We're encouraged, even commanded, to bring our doubts, to bring our frustrations, to even bring our anger against God to God. That's what lament is. It's, it's lamenting something wrong in our world, something wrong inside of us. But instead of going somewhere else with it, we take it to God. And we know that God can handle it. We know that God invites it. And it's in his presence that he heals us. And so the task of, of worship is not to set aside the, the frustration, set aside the discouragement, disappointment, and anger. It's actually to take those directly to God and even experience them more fully in God's presence. Uh, I've thought of this in terms of uh, spelunking before, uh, you know, going into a, a cave, spelunking. Uh, Joseph's uh, class went on a field trip to Rockbridge, and so they went deep into the cave. Uh, and I, I think of when I was a kid, my dad took us caving in Arkansas, and he had been in this cave when he was, uh, you know, a young guy in his 20s, and so now decades later, he he found this cave, and he's like, this is the one. It's super cool. Let's go in there. Uh, and so it's my brother and I, my uncle and my dad, and we're going deep into this cave, all on my dad's memory that's like three decades old. So we're like halfway into this thing, and it gets to like two or three feet tall. So we're laying down, like just belly crawling, and we're going deeper and deeper into the cave. And my uncle's from the city. He's never like been in nature before in his life. And so he's like having a mild panic attack saying, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back out. And my dad says, no, you can't get out uh, that way. It's, it's too difficult. We're really close. You have to keep going deeper into the cave and then it opens up. And so we kept going in. And then within this cave, there was a, a beautiful waterfall and a pretty easy place to just climb out from there. It's really hard to go down that way, but you're able to get out pretty easily. And so the message that made me think of this is that we often have to go deeper and deeper into the darkness uh, to actually find the way out. We have to keep going into the cave, into the crevasse. We have to keep going deeper and deeper into the darkness of our experience to find a way out, for, for God to heal those places in our, our heart. If we, if we feel something difficult, if we begin to see some darkness in our lives and we always turn around and go back out the way we came in, we're probably never going to find the, the fullness of healing that God intends for us. What it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a worshiper, is, is to face these things head on, to keep moving even in darkness until we find what it is that God is doing in us. And so who we are, we're worshipers, where we are, we're lamenting in a broken world. And then lastly, what must we do? for this, this long journey of faith? What are the practices that we cultivate? What, what's the lifestyle that we can develop that'll enable us to go the, the distance, the long endurance walk of faith that God has set before us? And the first one is this, sing with all your heart. 
the first version I had, it was a little bit too long. It was sing a little bit louder than you feel like and raise your hands occasionally and try to move out of your comfort zone just a little bit. <laughs> Normally, I just try to settle on two or three words. That one was too long. So sing with all your heart. Now, there's this unique thing. Uh, if, if you're not feeling like singing, what, what do you do? You know, when I, when I don't feel like it, like when I'm feeling the darkness, when I'm feeling dis- the discouragement, do I, is, it, is it inauthentic for me to sing? Should I just hold on to that? And the scriptures also say no. It's right to feel that. It's right to, to continue in that. But you can also still stand and, and sing praises to God. And often that's the way out of the darkness. It's to keep moving forward. It's not to set that pain aside. It's to embrace the pain, but also turn it into praise. Our, our hearts, our feelings follow our bodies so much of the time. When you, when you set a habit, when you even do something with your physical body, it, it changes the way you think and the way you feel. And so kneeling in prayer is a, is a powerful form of, of dependence and, and submission and, and relinquishing, surrendering control. It does something deep within you just by being on your knees. In the same way, lifting your hands or closing your eyes in worship, it actually changes how you feel and how you think. It changes your experience of God. And so I want to encourage us. I know we're a, a pretty buttoned-down church. We're, a, we're an educated, professional crowd. But I think we can grow in this a little bit. I think we can, we can move to, towards a more uh, expressive Christianity, a more expressive worship where, where we're fully engaged, even with our bodies. You might say, well, does that make me a Pentecostal? And I would say, not until you hit the floor. That's, where we, that's when you officially become a Pentecostal. But we can move just a little bit more in this in this direction of experiencing God, even with our bodies in worship. Well, all, right. all right, thank you. So number one, sing with all your heart. Now number two, worship through generosity. Now this is something that comes up a lot in the scriptures related to worship. And I define worship as giving ultimate value to someone or something with your entire being, mind, heart, and will. And if that's the case, we have to, to notice when other things are, are coming into our minds or taking the place of God in our worship. If, if God is what we truly value, then we will see that in er- every area of life. And so the scripture often sets forth uh, a test of our worship as our willingness to part with what we, we've been given. Willingness to part with our money, our, our possessions, even our time. Do we share what God's given us? Do we give away what we receive, knowing that it's from God and, and for God? And generosity is this, this important test of, of who and what we're really worshiping. Now, I don't think it's a, a firm command in the scriptures, but both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is an overall pattern of giving at least 10% of our finances to God and his work. Now, this is something we've talked about before, and this is something for Christians. And so if you're exploring the faith, this is not something for you. But if you are maturing in the faith, this is one of the steps to maturity. This is one of the, the signs that Christ is, is growing and in, in, in full bloom within you. Our, our hands become just a little bit more open with what we've been, giving, been given. And I think this is such a huge theme in, in the scriptures, especially in the teachings of Jesus, because money entangles our, our hearts like few other things. It, it has a way of, of getting deep into our hearts and, and making our, our fists clenched just a little bit more. 
And so I would encourage you, especially if you're, if you're new as a Christian, if you're growing in Christianity, simply to explore the scriptures on this. We'll, we'll continue to do some teaching on it, but for the most part, go directly to the scriptures. See what, what Jesus taught. How did, he, how did he speak about money and possessions? My primary goal is that you would trust God completely, to trust him with, with every aspect of your being. And so number one, sing with all your heart. Number two, worship through generosity. And then number three, the last thing, enter the rest of worship. The rest of worship. Worship is, is an activity, but it's also a, a posture. It's a, it's a posture of our hearts in, in praise and dependence on the Lord. And so our psalm, Psalm 122, the very last verse says this, For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. I will seek, the Hebrew word is, your shalva. This is, this is a rich and, and beautiful word in the Hebrew. Shalva. It can be translated prosperity, peace, rest. Most places in the scriptures, it's actually translated leisure. Isn't that interesting? Enter into the, the leisurely rest of the Lord. What we do as worshipers, as Christians, is we seek the, the shalva rest that only God can provide. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. And this, this deep shalva rest, it's only available in Christ. It's only through his life, death, and resurrection being applied to us through, through union with him, through our faith in him, believing in him, and being made one with him. It's only through Christ that we enter this deep and abiding rest. We've been created for this. From the beginning of time, people have been singing. We've been created to worship God. We've been redeemed to worship God and to sing to him. And for all eternity, all of eternal life, we will be singing to Christ. And so I mentioned earlier Psalm 73, the, the emo lament uh, about the irreligious person getting ahead. It's interesting, there's a turn in Psalm 73 where Asaph, the writer, he says, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. And so he's saying only in the presence of God does, does life make sense. Only in the presence and the sanctuary of God does the way this world works, does it even make sense to me. And he continues and closes with this. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we sing your praises for you are good. You are true. You are the one living God. And so, Father, it's to you alone that we turn our hearts. We, we set our minds on you. We let you determine our, our actions and our ways, our will. Father, would you be so great in our hearts and our minds and our bodies 
that our life becomes an, an entire movement of praise before you. May we pour out this, this praise, remembering that this is what we have been made for, to give thanks to you and to sing your praises. Father, would you make us into a, a singing church, a church that sings deeply from, from our souls? Even when we feel like doing something else, may we continue to put ourselves before you so that you can do a deep work in us, Lord. Would you transform us by our worship and enable us to continue on this long journey of faith towards you, towards eternal life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.